We all have questions. Questions about faith, relationships, beliefs, politics, social issues, our planet, and God. But where do you go when you're done with cliches and starving for the conversation to ascend? What do you do when you're struggling to find connection within your community, within your church? Join us, Lauren, Danielle, and Jason, to connect, discuss relevant topics, and try to navigate living in the tension of everyday life as Jesus followers. This is The Outsiders Podcast. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Outsiders Podcast. For those who might be new with us today or don't recognize our voices yet, I'm Danielle, and as always, I am joined by Jason and Lauren here in the studio. How are you guys doing this week? I am doing well. Last week was a, was a little tough, not going to lie, but this has been a good week, so I'm excited to move forward. It's good. good. Well, I hate to be the oh, opposite great. of that. <laughs> <laughs> this week has been a week. Um, mm. Everybody has tried my patience, and um, patience isn't nece- necessarily a virtue of mine. So it's been a really rough week, just a lot of Stuff at work and, you know. So an opportunity for growth. Life. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) there's always opportunities for growth, for sure. So I'm just glad to be here with you guys um, and to talk about another good topic. Well, I'm glad you guys are here. How's your week? How are you? Uh, It's it's okay. I got round two of my COVID shot. I mean, that's Um, good. It is good. I'm very thankful I was able to get fully that. vaccinated. Fully vaccinated. So what does that kick in? Right? Is that like in, in a week? Like the effectiveness of it? Yeah. I mean, she's a hundred percent immune to COVID now. Well, I know, but like, does that happen like <laughs> right now? I'm not a scientist. All I know is that my probably body overnight. Hurts. I mean, Peter Parker became Spider Man. Like, I mean, that's true. Almost immediately. Yeah. So that's true. Okay. Anyways, I hope everyone will forgive me if I am kind of off today or not 100%. I'm still feeling the side effects of the shot, but thankful to be vaccinated, thankful to be here with you guys, and um, looking forward to diving into this topic today. Yeah, it's good. I know I'm particularly anticipating this conversation because it's something that I've really been working through um, on, you know, even more so than normal over the last couple of years. So I know that this discussion is going to be helpful for me, and I hope that it will for others as well. Um, so a couple years ago, I mean, I guess it was like a year and a half ago, something happened that kind of changed my view of the world and even God's role in it to some extent. Mm-hmm. August of 2019, it was actually my husband Patrick's birthday that Saturday. And we had a small group of friends together um, just to celebrate at Lauren's house, actually. And we had considered going out to eat at one of our favorite restaurants downtown in the Oregon district of Dayton. Uh, but we decided to stay in that night. I'm an OR nurse, as I've mentioned before, and we have to take call weekends, which basically means that we're available to come into the hospital for surgery if there's any kind of emergency. Mm -hmm. And so I was on call that weekend, and because of that, I just felt more comfortable spending the night in rather than going out. So we got home that night pretty late. We left around 1 a.m. and just got home, went to sleep. And about an hour later, I was jolted awake by my phone ringing, and I saw that I had had other missed calls from the hospital. And they had left voicemails, but I answered, I managed to answer that phone call and heard words that I will never forget. And to this day, I actually still have the voicemail saved. I haven't been able to bring myself to delete it. And they said something along the lines of, we need you to come to the hospital. There's a mass shooting taking place in the Oregon district. And we don't know what might be coming to us. And we just need all hands on deck for potential surgeries. And I just remember being frozen. Mm -hmm. 
my body started moving and going through the motions of getting dressed and getting ready to go to the hospital, but my mind was just going like a million miles per minute. Patrick woke up in the commotion of me getting ready, and all all I could tell him was, there's a mass shooting and I have to go. And he was kind of like, what? (laughs) Come again? (laughs) And I was like, I I don't know. There's a a mass shooting. That's all they told me, and I have to get to the hospital. Um, Before I left the house, I hugged Patrick and just started crying and told him to pray. All I knew was that the shooting was at the Oregon District, which was five minutes away from my hospital, and I had no idea what I was driving towards. I knew there was danger and that I had to go towards it. So once I was in the car and I was driving, um, I called Patrick and had him Google the incident to try to see if we could find out any information just to try to help put my mind at ease while I was driving there. And we knew that there were multiple victims. Um, One shooter had been shot and taken down and there was possibly another. So in my mind, I was driving towards where there was possibly another active shooter on the loose. Um, I got to the hospital and I ran inside and just forced myself to pull it together and get to work. The ER was absolutely chaotic and it was clear that everybody was working really fast to try to take care of everything, but also just really in shock and Mm -hmm. not really fully processing what was happening at the time. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, we only ended up having to perform a couple surgeries that night um, because, you know, emergency response was really good at spreading out uh, the victims at different hospitals, making sure that everyone could get care as soon as possible and not to overwhelm um, any of the hospitals. Mm -hmm. When the dust settled the next day, we found out that there had been nine victims that had lost their lives that night and that the sole shooter um, had died and been taken down as well. Um, I got home later that morning and the rest of the weekend was just a blur. I was exhausted and scared and sad and shocked. Um, I was angry and I was so confused. Um, I immediately had the thought that the restaurant that we had considered going to the night before when the shooting happened was literally on the street where the shooting took place. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was just after 1 a.m., which is right when we were heading home. And it struck me how much closer to home it could have hit for us that night. And I mean, I can't imagine what it was like for the people that were actually there. I remember there's a nurse that I used to work with who had shared a picture on Facebook that someone else had posted. Um, And it was a photo of shoes just scattered in the street because people were running so fast and frantically to get away from the gunfire that they were literally running out of their shoes. Mm -hmm. And she spotted her shoe in the photo because she was there. And I just, I sat on the couch and... I remember everyone was texting each other, making sure everyone was okay, checking in. And I was just sitting there reflecting on what had happened. And as a Christian, um, I think that this was the first time that I ever really struggled to make sense of God's role in our lives when the bad stuff happens. I mean, I know he protected me, but why was I protected Mm. and why weren't others? You know, why was it their time and why wasn't it mine? And all of a sudden, all of the explanations and answers and things that I found myself giving to others over the years couldn't quite satisfy my own questions Mm -hmm. and confusion and frustration that morning. Mm -hmm. You know, you hear about and see these things happening um, all over the country, all over the world, but you don't realize how different it feels when it actually happens to you. Um, And I mean, honestly, unfortunately, I think there are a lot of people who do understand because this stuff happens all too often. Um, And since that moment, a year and a half ago, I've really needed to continue to struggle with this and process this with other people because um, no matter how much you know that God loves you, it can be really, really hard to understand. Mm -hmm. So 
Today, we're going to address two questions that I think uh, kind of go hand in hand, and questions that Christians and I think just humanity in general have wrestled with for generations. Why does suffering exist? Why do bad things happen? You know, especially when we have a God who loves us. And how do we deal with those things and help others navigate the tragedies in their lives? Danielle, thanks for sharing that with us. Um, I think this topic is incredibly relevant and hopefully can bring some healing um, to those listening if they've experienced loss in some way or something similar. Um, I remember that night hearing the sirens rush past my house because I live like five minutes away from the Oregon district. And I didn't really think anything of it because I live next to a college campus. And unfortunately, <laughs> there are sirens all sirens the time. Sirens happen a lot. Yes. Yeah. Um, but when I awoke to Danielle's text informing a group of us about what had happened, like she had texted us as she was going down um, and we hadn't heard any updates or anything like that, um, my mind immediately went into crisis communication mode. Like as my job as the PR director of Kettering College, like my first thought was, were any students down there? Mm -hmm. You know, like it, it just sets you in a different, mm -hmm. a different mindset. And then when I had a chance to kind of like, pause and not be freaking out it it was really heavy to to handle and I'm so thankful that you know we could all check in but I know people that were down there and mm -hmm. it's they're still dealing with the aftermath of aftermath of that trauma mm -hmm. um and for me unfortunately this isn't the first mass shooting that I've experienced like in the city that I've lived in mm -hmm. um, back in 2015 one happened in Chattanooga terrorist um, opened fire on a number of locations and I was at work um, and was just like glued to Twitter and the news um, because it was kind of like coming our direction mm -hmm. so I was just you know texting my family like hey, this is happening. I have no idea what's going on, but just want to make you aware so you're not freaking out if you see, you know, headlines that something's happening in Chattanooga. Mm -hmm. um, and a few years prior to that, like I was scared for my life because there was a bomb threat at the school that I was working at and, um, you know, waiting literally in like a back, we called it the dungeon. There's this back corner, no windows. It's cold. I'm sitting on the floor for a good three hours waiting for law enforcement to like clear all of the buildings coming with guns drawn. Like I've, I've seen that on TV, but when you experience it in real life is, is another thing. Um, and again, in 2015, I was out with, um, or I was, on a tour in Thailand um, with my dad and some friends. And it was like the best trip that I've ever, ever been on. Um, and the last few days we were on the island of Krabi and it was just such an amazing experience to see the beach and all this sort of stuff. Um, and the morning that we're leaving to go to Bangkok and, and fly home, um, there was a married couple, they're older, like my parents' age. Um, and I had become close with them because the husband I was like buddies with, we had to check in when we got on the bus to make sure, you know, everyone's there. And um, 
they got the news that morning, like we're taking our bags and putting them on the boat to boat over to the mainland, um, that they're, they got a call that their youngest son um, had died in a car accident and getting like getting the news on the beach and just hearing her screams and her sobs. It was, it will forever be ingrained in my mind. And that boat ride back to the mainland was just so somber. Like we were all just in shock. We were on this amazing trip and, you know, you're on this high being in another country um, and experiencing something so awful like that. Um, but I think the, the thing that has wrecked me over the years and have really had me questioning a lot about God um, was when my mom called me about seven, eight years ago and told me that she had been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, mm -hmm. which has no cure. And you just know the quality of life of this person is just going to like decline over the years. Um, and so it's been really hard watching her physical health get worse. Like every time I see her, it's worse. Um, and I'm so proud of her because she's fighting this disease, but it doesn't hurt any less. And even as like we're, we were preparing for this episode, like I had a little bit of a cry last night, just mm -hmm. like thinking through all of the things that I've experienced in my life. I know Danielle, you know, talking about this is, is tough. Um, and I just know that there are people that are our listeners who have experienced loss even recently. Mm -hmm. And so these questions that we have, I think, like I said, at the beginning is like really relevant. And um, I think it's going to be helpful. Yeah, no, absolutely. So thank you, Danielle and Lauren, for just your honesty, vulnerability, and as you share in your process, your experience, specifically with this topic. And I do think it's important, uh, right? Because like what you just said, Lauren, I, I'm, I'm convinced that 100% of the people listening right now, however you are listening, you have experienced pain and loss and a sense of injustice and it is hurtful. And I think one thing at the outset of this conversation, and like many of our podcasts and our conversations, we could go way deeper, right? But, you know, we don't want this thing to go hours and hours. But, you know, so I would encourage anyone that wants to process and have a discussion, right? We're all available and mm -hmm. would love to have a conversation with you as we go deeper into some of these things. But I think the first thing to recognize is intrinsically, this topic is deeply emotional. It, it just is. And man, I can't tell you how many times, and I'm sure we can all have our own stories, when in, in, in a space of pain and suffering and hurt and people are grieving because of loss, some well-meaning Christians will try to offer words and some advice and some sort of Christian cliche to help with the grieving. But honestly, Oftentimes they're terrible and <laughs> mm -hmm. and hurtful, and it's a warped picture of God. I, I remember, you know, quickly when several years ago when my brother-in-law committed suicide, I actually heard someone say, "Well, God makes everything happen for a reason." And I'm like, wait, 
what? You're saying this is God's fault? Like that is terrible theology, right? And and so I think one thing to recognize if you are a Jesus follower or if you are around someone, because let's be honest, it's not if, it's when. Hmm. There is pain, there is suffering. You will be around people who experience loss for you know whatever reason. Let's just recognize sometimes the answer isn't to speak, right? Let's recognize that this is a deeply emotional space. So some sort of cognitive, logical approach to try to explain and answer why, especially that, right? Like why something happens, especially in the moment when someone is grieving, that is not the answer, right? We should not do that. And I actually think Paul has some brilliant advice in in Romans 12, 15. Paul straight up says, be happy with those who are happy. Good. And weep with those who weep. Just be with them. Uh, you know, a, a lot of times, especially, you know, for people who read the Bible and talk about the Bible and whatever, right? Like Job is often referred to as this person who, you know, bad things happen to this really good person. And and yes, that is true. And, and oftentimes, if you know the story, right, it, he has some friends come and his friends get this, this super bad rap. But the reality is, if you actually read the story, the friends did exactly what they should have done initially, they came to Job, right, which some was that would have been a distance. They sat with him and they wept with him for an entire week and said nothing. Maybe we should do a little bit more of that. Um, the problem came when they spoke and tried to explain stuff. Um, so, yeah, I think just at the beginning, we should recognize this topic when we are talking with people, it's just deeply emotional. Yeah, I I think you're absolutely right. But I also think that's so hard because Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. I know for myself, I'm a fixer and I'm like a logical verbal processor. And so in my, like when stuff happens to me, I want to talk about it and Mm -hmm. I want to make reason of it and I want to understand it and Mm -hmm. I want to explain it. And so my gut reaction when that happens to other people is to do the same, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, how do I fix this? And I think you're right. I think that there is a time to just be there. And I think that there's a time to try to help process. Mm -hmm. And it's just this very fine line because I've gotten some really good support from my church community and my faith community and friends and pastors and so many people in, in times of pain and loss and tragedy. But then you're right, there have been other situations too where it hasn't been as productive. And so I think that when we see other people hurting, Mm -hmm. we just naturally and intrinsically want to help, but it can be a lot harder um, and more unclear how to do that than maybe we think sometimes. Sure. We can probably all think of situations where we ask the question, why? So the first question we want to answer is, why does suffering exist? Why do bad things happen? And where is God in all of that? Mm-hmm. It's a loaded question. I know. That's right. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Um, I remember when I was in nursing school, I had to take a class Um, where we talked about suffering um, because, you know, obviously in healthcare, that's something that you encounter a lot and Mm -hmm. just being able to help yourself process it as well as your patients and their family and stuff. And so one of the books we were assigned to read, it was called Suffering in the Search for Meaning um, by Richard Rice. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the few books from nursing school that I kept because I I thought it was just such an interesting book. Um, It essentially broke down seven, what they call theodicies Mm -hmm. that try to explain why pain and suffering exist if there truly is a God. 
And for me, it was just so interesting to see somebody put a name to all of these theories because a lot of them are things that you've probably heard, um, you know, the gist of them, but I had never heard somebody say this is what they are. So just like super quick, um, there's the free will theodicy, which basically is that people have free will and they use it badly. Um, cosmic conflict, which is, you know, good versus evil. Evil, You know, the devil is at work. God is at work and that conflict causes you know, is the source of the evil in the world. Um, there's the perfect plan, which Jason, you know, you briefly mentioned that everything is a part of God's plan, the good and the bad. It's all, that's exactly how he wants it. Um, there was the finite God theodicy, which says God is not all powerful. Um, there was the soul making theodicy, which just basically says suffering has meaning because it changes us for the better and it makes us stronger. There was one that was called the openness of God, which um, basically says God doesn't know what we're actually going to do, only the possibilities. Therefore, he can't stop it or fix it because he doesn't actually know. Um, and then there was the protest theodicy, which basically is just saying there can't be a God because no God would ever permit this stuff happening. Um, he just can't be real if the suffering exists in the world. And as I was reading them for the first time, I guess I always felt like my explanation for suffering as a Christian was kind of a combo of the free will and cosmic conflict arguments. But as we dove into them more, and I heard perspectives of people in my class who weren't Christians necessarily or who had had so many uh, tragic experiences and you know, just hearing everybody coming at it from so many different angles, it became so much more complicated. Mm. And I also realized how frustrating it can be to try to just identify one theory that explains all of the tragedies and to try to give them meaning, you know? And now whenever tragedy strikes, whether it's personal or in my community or even globally, um, I often find myself thinking back to that book and those theodicies. Mm -hmm. And even though sometimes it's helpful to be able to explain them or say, oh, it's because of free will slash cosmic conflict slash whatever, um, sometimes it still doesn't make it easier. And I think that this is often a point of contention for those outside of Christianity because trying to explain the bad away uh, can be really hard to grasp or accept. And as Christians, I think it can be easy to get stuck trying to find a reason and make sense of the awful things in our world. Um, and as someone who's kind of had a relationship with God my whole life, I know that he's with me. I know that he's for me and that he protects me and that he loves me. Um, but remembering that and explaining that and making sense of that and reconciling those two things in the midst of tragedy can be really, really hard. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and honestly, at the end of the day, this is the question. And I've referenced this before in, in previous episodes, how I love listening with and conversing with atheists or agnostic, or at least people who think that they're atheists and agnostic. And what I've learned is that beneath it all, there is always pain and hurt, always. And, but this isn't new, right? This is like kind of a part of the human experience. I think this is something that, like I was alluding to earlier, like we all experience. Um, and, and Albert Einstein, right? I mean, so there's so many people, right? We could look at throughout history, like, oh, well, they were atheists and they were super inspired and blah, blah, blah. But if you go back and look at the root of their beliefs, for Einstein, quote, this is what he said, quote, if God was so good, why is there so much suffering and evil in the world? Yeah, unquote. Like, I, I, I get it. Charles Darwin, right? A lot, Say what you want about what you think about Charles Darwin and the things that he developed and thought up and explained and whatever. But at its core, Charles Darwin was a believer, but he couldn't rectify a loving God with the premature death of his daughter. 
right? I have a daughter. Um, I've thought about that often. Yeah, that would be really difficult. Um, and then you look, you know, a little bit more recently. So Bart Ehrman, and you can do all this research, but, you know, basically Bart Ehrman is one of the leading agnostic atheists in America today. He's written over 30 books. Um, but this is, this is kind of his position. Uh, he says, quote, I left the faith for what I took to be and still take to be an unrelated reason, the problem of suffering in the world, unquote, right? So this is a this is definitely the question. Um, Stephen King, of all people, he says this, and, and this is interesting, I find. Stephen King says, quote, I believe in intelligent design. Okay, so that's interesting. Today's scientific discoveries are too unyielding to refute intelligent design. I refuse to believe there's a personal God because there's simply so much suffering and evil in the world, unquote. And so it's like... What I find interesting is, again, whether you are an agnostic or an atheist or whatever, like this is the human experience. And what I find interesting is, okay, even in the scriptures, we see things like this. In the book of Habakkuk, which in case you haven't read Habakkuk recently, um, that was written 2,500 years ago, to be clear. And Habakkuk 1 verse 2 says this, quote, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen Violence is everywhere, I cry, but you do not come to save, unquote. And it's like, kind of like what you're talking about, Danielle. It, like, yeah, sure, these words were written 2,500 years ago, but they might as well have been tweeted like 25 seconds ago. Like, not much has changed, right, over the centuries and how we experience this stuff. So it is super important. Um, Sam Harris, I'll spit this out real quick and, you know, jump in whenever. Um, but Sam Harris, who is a huge author and voice among American atheism today, this, at its core, this is his argument. Um, and he says this, uh, quote, If God exists, either he can do nothing to stop the most egregious calamities, or he does not care to. Therefore, God is either impotent or evil. There's another possibility, of course, and it's both the most reasonable and the least odious. The biblical God is a fiction like Zeus and thousands of other dead gods of whom most human beings now ignore, unquote, right? So just now, someone listening is like, hmm, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, I, I'm, I see it. Well, and that's <laughs> what strikes me is just listening to you read all these quotes is I'm like, literally, I, I am a current Christian who believes in a God who loves me and protects me, and yet I understand sure, because I think we've all been in one of those moments where we're like, there's no way. Like, how, how does this make sense? Right. And I think that's important for us as we process our, ourselves and we're with people who are processing. Yes, this, this is a shared experience, right? To kind of help us give us some perspective. And so basically, right, the, the argument is this. If God is all powerful, could he stop evil? Yep, yep, he definitely could. If he's all powerful. Well, then if God is all good, would he want to stop evil? Yep, if he's all good, he would want to stop evil. Yet evil exists. This is our human experience. And so Sam's argument is, therefore, and I'm just quoting him, either deny the existence of evil or there is no such thing as the Christian God, unquote. And so, yeah, as we talk about this, like when we say that something is evil— like, what do we mean, right? Because we all kind of intrinsically have this understanding that uh, of evil. No, evil exists. Injustice exists. It's, there are not good things that happen. Things happen that are not fair. It's not right. And that's like the fuel, right, that, that gets us going with this, this whole conversation. And so intrinsically within the human experience, we all can conf 
confidently testify that there's evil in the world for sure. But I guess the basic, right, fundamental question is, but where do we get this? And how do we know? Like, how is it that everyone agrees on this very notion of evil, right? It seems like that we have to base this knowledge, like we have to compare it to something. And and someone that kind of gave me some insight on this is C.S. Lewis, who if you haven't read Lewis, everyone should stop this podcast right now and go read Lewis. Actually, don't. Don't stop the podcast. Finish the episode. Finish the episode. (laughs) Then go read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis because it's amazing. But this is what, okay, so this is what Lewis says. Um, Quote, my argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust, but how had I gotten this idea of unjust and just? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust, unquote, right? So it's kind of this concept like, and it sounds stupid, but in reality, like, do fish understand their wetness? I don't even know if wetness is a word. It might be weird, but you understand what I'm saying. Is that a word? Smart people? Um, I can confirm it's a word. Yeah, okay, good. Let's do that. Um, Right? Like, do they even know that they're wet? Well... Right or right, there are all these deep sea creatures who live in the you know the the depths of the oceans, right where where natural light never you know penetrates. Do they know that they live in darkness, right? And we can even think about this in in you know scientific terms, right? Because oftentimes we talk about how well does cold exist? No, cold doesn't actually exist. It's just the absence of heat or darkness. No, darkness doesn't actually exist. It's the absence of light. And so it's almost like within our understanding we must, there's this element of comparison. We have, we, we were comparing this reality of evil, but the only way we can explain that experience is to compare it to something else. And so it's almost like the existence of evil, honestly, the way we understand it means that there must be a God, right? Like intrinsically within this discussion, the only way that we can say that we can compare it to something else is there must be something bigger, And I mean, I think that's something that I've heard in countless conversations of the whole, how do you know what evil is if if you don't know what good is? Like there has to be, that has to prove the existence of God. But I, just to play the devil's advocate, I don't think that that satisfies the question of, okay, so fine, you've convinced me God exists. Why does all this stuff happen anymore? You know? Well, so I think, you know, so we can get into it, but I think... That's the first place to start. Okay, if we can just say that there must be a God, okay, now let's dive into, okay, who is this God? And then how does he operate, right, within humanity? And with going back with some of the theodicies that you were talking about with freedom and free will and and love, right? If, if, If he really is love, well, then there must be be freedom, right? But then you can follow, right? So it's just a a place to start, right? A place to start the conversation. And a lot of times, right, like specifically with Taoism, which I think is interesting, right? And just if for everyone who's unfamiliar with Taoism, essentially that's where the yin-yang comes from, where good and evil are equal and opposite forces, right? Okay, sure. So there's evil, but then there's good. Okay, I'm down with that. But there's a problem even within this concept of equal and opposite forces. And, And that is kind of this basic premise, right? It's it's possible to do good for the sake of good, right? Like we're doing this podcast, right? Our goal, whether or not our listeners <laughs> understand it or not, is to do good, right? In the world. We're not getting paid, 
right? I mean, none of us are getting paid. Um, we're not getting paid. Yeah, no, right? <laughs> uh, we're donating time and energy and blah, blah, blah. Um, our purpose is to do good for the sake of good, period, right? That's it. There's no other motivation. But I would actually argue that, and just think about it, it's actually impossible to do evil for the sake of evil, right? When you really think about it, evil is actually the pursuit of good just done wrong. Now, to be clear, I'm assuming mental and psychological health, <laughs> right? To be clear. But think about it at like the most ele- like elementary level, right? Well, when you're a little kid, what's evil? Well, cheating. Cheating in school is evil. Okay. But at its core, what is cheating? You're trying to get a good grade. Now you're doing it wrong, but that's really what you're doing. Or, you know, telling a lie. Well, why do you lie to your parents? Well, you want them to have a good image of you or a better understanding of you. Now you're totally doing it wrong, but it's actually the pursuit of something good. And I would even argue even the most, and we, I think we've talked about it in previous podcasts, going back with Sam Harris and some of these other arguments, even the most egregious calamities, like pure evil, I've, I've said this before, I think rape is pure evil. Even things that are heinous and awful as you know, abuse and et cetera, at its core, again, assuming mental and psychological health, health it's the pursuit of good. You're just totally doing it wrong. You know what I'm saying? And so this is where I, I think this, this idea of equal, like it doesn't make sense because if, if evil was equal to good, then it could stand alone, but it can't, right? It, it's, good can stand alone, but evil can't. Evil can only exist in pursuit of good, just totally doing it wrong. Right, so it's almost like evil is parasitic in that nature. It doesn't, right? Like like something like a rusted tool. It doesn't start as rust, you know, with rust on it, and then gets clean or whatever. It starts clean and then turns to rust. Does that make sense? So what about like murder? Yeah. Right. So what's the motivation to murder? And again, it's going to depend on the situation. Assuming mental and psychological health. Is it power? Well, at its core, power is good. Um, is it justice? Well, at its core, that's good. Now, you're totally doing it wrong, right? I'm not just, so to be clear, I'm not justifying the evil. I'm just saying at its core, the motivation for the evil, it's actually the pursuit of something good. You're just taking it upon yourself and doing it wrong, which means that good can stand alone apart from evil, which means that good comes before evil, which means that good must trump evil. I'll be honest, that's really hard for me to reconcile. Um, I get what you're I get what you're saying, and I think that like I can wrap my head around it, but at the same time, because of things that, you know, like we've all just experienced because of the world that we live in to think that someone like Hitler. Sure. Right. Like at the core, maybe was trying to do good and totally did it wrong. Right. Right. That I think that that brings maybe the humanity back to the person and that, you know, like maybe that they have a heart, but it's, 
Well, no, like, absolutely. I, you kind of want to just write them off and be like, I mean, obviously what he did was like super bad. Oh, but, super heinous. I mean, he murdered what, millions and millions of people. Right. And, but to say like at the heart, at the core of who he was and what he was doing, attempting to pursue good, obviously doing it very wrong, but attempting to do that. that that's really hard for me to, to reconcile sure. well, in my head. Even, and, and, this is not a podcast on, you know, the history of World War II. But I feel like, um, right, at, to a certain level, right, he promised all Germans that they would have a Volkswagen, right? Everyone's going to have a car, uh, right? It was pursuit of a good race, a good country, a good world, right? Now, again, he was totally wrong. And it, again, it, it was bad. I'm not justifying Hitler. I'm just saying that at its core, right, the, the motivation was to accomplish something that in his head was a good thing. Totally doing it wrong. And I would argue that all evil, sin, etc. I mean, go on down the list. Um, drug addicts, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, pornography, you know, all of these things. You're doing it wrong, but you're pursuing something good. Peace. Uh, you know, some sort, you're trying to fill some sort of need in your life. These are the pursuit of good things. You're just doing it wrong, right? So within this idea that, okay, yes, there's definitely evil that exists, but good comes first. And, and then, right, okay, so let's base level. Okay, there must be a God and he must come first and somehow he must be more powerful. Okay, so now we're like building the, the scaffold, right, for, for our, our construct, for our understanding. And essentially, right, so for me, right, at point, okay, well, what do the scriptures actually say, right? We've talked about this in the past. Not what do we think they say, but what do they actually say? And clearly, and you were mentioning it earlier, Danielle, like the scriptures teach that there is a ruler of darkness whose only goal is to hurt God. Like he knows he's going to lose and he only cares about hurting God. And at the end of the day, right, if someone really wants to hurt me, if Lauren just gets infuriated for whatever reason and she wants to hurt me, she can come over and punch me in the throat. Okay, I've been punched in the throat before. It hurts really bad. You're gagging. You can't breathe. It's awful. But I'll get over it. But if Lauren really wanted to deeply hurt me, she would punch one of my children in the throat, right? That's how you really hurt someone is by hurting those that person loves. And so I think sometimes within this whole construct, as we think about it, again, recognize that it's deeply emotional, good. But as we construct this notion, um, let's clearly give an understanding that, no, the evil one and the rulers of darkness, they exist. And they exist for one person, not because they care about us, because they really don't. They care about hurting God. And that's how you hurt God. And so let's not give God more credit for all of these bad things that happen. No, a loving God would not do that. I think that's, you know, that, that's part of the issue with the argument. Well, if we're loving God, then why does he? No, he doesn't. Mm -hmm. The evil one does, who only cares about hurting God. And you hurt God by hurting the ones he loves. And I think within a conversation with a fellow Christian, that that could make sense. Yeah. But I think with someone who doesn't have a relationship with a God and doesn't know that he is loving and hasn't experienced that love, that can be a much more difficult For point sure. to make. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, but I mean, yeah, I think that there are a lot of examples in the Bible of God's children being hurt, which, you know, in turn hurts him. Um, I think we've all heard probably about a million and one sermons about Job <laughs> um, because he's, 
kind of referenced as the poster child of suffering in the I don't Bible. think I've ever preached a sermon on Job. Pretty sure. Okay, maybe. Lying is not. <laughs> good, <laughs> um, but You're I mean, doing good wrong. Uh, yes. <laughs> Trying to justify myself. Okay, sorry. Keep going. It's fine. And I mean, rightfully so. Job suffered a lot, and I mean, I personally have heard his story interpreted and preached on and talked about in so many different ways. You know, we talk about, or I've heard people say, well, you know, God did all this stuff to him. Or I've heard people say, well, you know, God just knew he could take it. And, you know, he wanted to prove Satan wrong. And this, like, I've heard everything. Um, But I think something that got me about the story of Job, maybe about a, a, probably around when um, the shooting happened and I was really trying to dig in and and figure out where I stood is that I feel like sometimes his story puts a lot of pressure on Christians um, to have perfect faith in the face of adversity and tragedy. And I think that it's because a lot of the time we don't realize that while Job never lost faith, while he never questioned if God existed or if God was there, he whined and complained and cried out and was so upset with God for literally chapters. Like the majority yeah. of the book of Job is Job saying, why, 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 why right. did you do this to me? And I remember as a kid, everyone being like, be like Job, don't lose faith when bad stuff happens. And then diving into it more as an adult, when I have a better grasp on what suffering and tragedy is, it it was really eye-opening for me to see Job didn't have it all together. Job had questions too. And Job, who was pointed out as someone that God knew could handle this and that God knew he wouldn't turn his back on him, even if all this suffering was allowed to happen, he still struggled with it. He still had a really hard time making sense of it. And I'm not saying that that means that our goal should be to question God every time something bad happens. I'm just saying, I think that sometimes we set ourselves up and compare ourselves to these superheroes in the Bible and feel like there's a certain thing that we're supposed to achieve. But when we dive in, they were people too. Mm -hmm. And they struggled and they suffered and they experienced loss and hardships. And it was hard for them to reconcile why God let that stuff happen to them as well. Um, You know, I think it's possible to suffer and believe that God is for us and have questions. And as much as that may seem contradictory, we simply don't have God's understanding. Um, Mm -hmm. We don't have his ability to know everything and to make sense of these situations. And frankly, it can be messy. And I think that's because life is messy and walking with God, especially in our broken world, can be very messy. No, Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I would just say, like, so you went to the scriptures and you actually dug into it for yourself. Um, Yeah. If we actually did that, did that more, these people in the Bible were very much like us. Mm-hmm. They struggled, they doubted, and they questioned. Um, and which, so ultimately, that gives me hope, right? We're not. This is not a new thing. Um, it, but to me, the thing is, okay, that's a different conversation versus, okay, well, then just God doesn't exist or or whatever, right? And so I think, right, we do that. Like you addressed this, Danielle. <laughs> to me, that's a big argument for church and authentic community. That's why we need to be there for each other to process and talk about this together. I know that like when my mom was first diagnosed, <laughs> I had a lot of questions for God. Um, I didn't really experience anything on that level. And, um, you know, it's just, it's really asking the question why. Um, and I think one of the first things that I felt was anger. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I, I'm a pretty deep feeler, if, if y'all don't know. I feel all of the things. And I, over the years, like I've had to work through a lot of emotions. And I think one thing I've realized is, you know, it, as my mom is going through this, like I am walking alongside her and journeying alongside her because I'm not the one that's fighting this disease, but there's still grief that goes along th- along with it. And that's a process. And it's not just this, you know, like, six months, you're, you're done with the grief process. Like if something on this level or, you know, traumatic or anything, like you're consistently going to be dealing with grief. Mm-hmm. And I think that's hard to wrap your head around, right? Like you may think that you're fine one day because, you know, you're having a good day and then something triggers you and then you remember the thing that you lost or the person that you lost or whatever. And, and it's hard um, yeah, because there's no textbook on grieving, right? <laughs> Everyone does it differently yeah. in different stages. And so I think we see that with Job, right? Like he's going through the grief process of like totally denying what he's going through, like angry of what he's going through. And then you kind of get to that point of acceptance. And then at some point you go, like you just start through the cycle again. Mm. Um, and so I, for me, I think it's been really helpful to have conversations with my mom and ask her, like, how are you dealing with this? Because here's how I'm dealing with it. And sometimes I'm good and other times I'm not. And, you know, our podcast, we talk a lot about living in the tension, like as Christ followers in this world. And like Danielle said, I think that you can hold sorrow and grief and sadness in one hand and you can hold joy and happiness in the other two Mm -hmm. and you may not feel both of those things at the same time um but both of both of the you know ends of the spectrum exist and so you know i i think for me i can i can step back in moments and see um the beauty of the mess and like my mom is connecting is a connector because of this diagnosis right like every year we get 30 plus people to go literally climb a a mountain in, in Colorado and lots of people who have donated to the Michael J Fox Foundation and you know like she's mentoring um people who are now getting diagnosed, um, you know, with, with Parkinson's. And, and so I just think like, though she's still actively dealing with this and I don't want to speak for her, but what I see Mm -hmm. as her kid, right? Like there's still this terrible thing that has happened. And, and then there are, there's good that's, that's come out of it, of connecting with all of these people and getting to do these things. And it's not always easy to step back and look at that. Sometimes you're just in it and you're so mad and frustrated that like this thing is happening to the, this person that you love. Um, but I can see God working through my mom with her perseverance and her strength and her patience and even her stubbornness. Right. And that's so true, right? Like the things that we focus on in these moments and, and like I like how you said this earlier, um, right, like you can live in the tension of, on one hand, experiencing all of this pain and anger and frustration and doubts, and on the other hand, like no, but I have a loving God who 
does actually care for me and is there and weeps with me and hurts with me. But that's a right, that's a rough tension, right? And uh, that's a challenge. So, like, what do you think? Like, how how do we deal with this? How do we help others navigate these tragedies in their lives? Like, is it okay to have doubt? Lots of questions. <laughs> no, no, but, no, I, mean, I know. Yeah. yeah, I I think for me, I'm continuing to learn to accept the things I can't change. I like to be in control of a lot and um, and understanding that there's a lot that I can't be in control of um, and understanding that, you know, bad things happen in the world and to people I love. Um, as far as answering the question about how to help others navigate, I will be the first to admit that I have done it wrong so many times it's a learning process. Um, you know, I've, I've tried to fix, I've done too much. I've been overbearing thinking that I'm helping and it's not. Um, but I think at the end of the day, I've learned just to be with someone like what we were talking about with Job and, and, and his friends, like for me to, to, help sit in their pain and their grief and sorrow. Like it can be uncomfortable sometimes. Um, but for me, that's showing up better for a friend or a neighbor than trying to do all the things. And I think Danielle had mentioned it, like you're a fixer. I think at times that's helpful to be that person, right? Like we all have strengths and we all have different personalities. And so there's different ways that we can show up for our friends or our loved ones who are um, going through hard stuff. And so for me, I've learned like just being with them is, is my way of, of showing up and to give permission to someone to not be okay, right? Like it's okay not to be okay. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to experience a mass shooting to question why bad things happen to good people. It right. could be, you know, something that you may think that is minor, but it's actually like life-changing for you. Um, and I, I don't know how to explain having faith when it's hard. I just know that I do. I think that's a part of faith is it's the illogical part of it, right? It it doesn't make sense all the time, but I know that God has shown up in my life and that he loves me. And so I've never questioned that. I think that there are other pieces of, you know, my faith and like why God allows or, you know, why bad things happen, whatever you want to say. Um, but I know that I don't ever want to be the person that tells someone that they just need to go pray more or that God wanted this to happen or, you know, is this way. Like, I don't think that that's helpful. And I think it is totally normal to have doubts as a Christ follower, especially when something bad happens to you. I, I think that's normal and it's okay. Um, and I, I think that, you know, you, you go through things in life and, and they happen to you. And, um, you know, I, the, the other thing is I'm such a huge proponent of therapy. And when it's appropriate, bringing up the conversation, again, everyone deals with things differently and therapy may not be a solution for someone. Um, for me, it's been really helpful to just have a, 
an objective person to process with and you know they're professionals in helping with that um and to give me practical ways to um deal with my anxiety and my depression and when things get overwhelming and you know when you have those existential crises in your life um so i think that there is there is um something important about my faith but i know that there are also other practical things that i need to do besides just like showing up to church and reading my bible but that that like my mental health therapy professionals like that is also something that is a good thing to pursue when dealing something yeah and god can work through that also yeah yeah i i think it's such a hard question to answer of how to help people deal with it and how to navigate it. Because like you've both mentioned, I think it's not the same for everyone. It's not a cookie cutter answer. And yeah, I do think that sometimes when uh, situations are difficult, trying to understand them isn't always the solution because there isn't always a clear explanation or clear reason. Um, And even if there were, I'm not sure that that would make things better. Even if you could tell me, you know, God wanted this to happen would that make me feel, probably that would make me feel worse. Right. Um, or, you know, if you could give me some other reason, I don't know that that would help. That being said, I, I do believe that processing tragedy and talking about it can be incredibly valuable. Like I'm a verbal processor and a logically driven person. And so I always want to understand and find a reason. And I think that God understands our need for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, even, you know, just going back to the book of Job, he could have cut him off way sooner. Mm-hmm. He let him go on and on and on and get it out of his system. And I know that a lot of the time when I've heard people talk about the story of Job, they depict God at the end finally speaking as this like angry, scolding parent. But I like to picture it more of God stepping in and being like, lovingly, Mm. can I talk now? Mm -hmm. And talking about all of these things that he's done and he's created and all of these wonderful things, not in a voice of anger Mm -hmm. or scolding Job, but just saying, remember when I was here for you and Mm -hmm. remember when I did this? Mm -hmm. And I think that we can be really hard on ourselves and we can, no one makes their, no one is their best self when bad stuff is happening. Mm -hmm. And I think that God knows that. And Mm -hmm. I think that he gives us that, that grace and that room to process when we need to, because mm-hmm. it's hard. Um, but I also think that sometimes life just sucks because our world is broken. Mm-hmm. And sometimes trying to make sense of it can literally drive you crazy. And learning to lean on God, both in the good and the bad, takes a lot of intentional practice. It's not something that just happens easily for everyone. And I honestly don't think that I have a straight answer as to how to deal with this stuff. Um, I personally try to remember that this broken world is not my home. And while that doesn't fix the now, it does remind me that all the pain and brokenness will be made whole again. Um, And I try to remember how God's been faithful and how he will continue to be. But I do have doubts and questions all the time. And I think that that's totally normal. Um, I had actually a conversation with a close friend this week, um, and he said something that had me thinking. We were talking about a completely unrelated topic that was also a, a kind of a difficult topic. But he was like, you know, I think sometimes Christians really fixate on the time we spend here on earth and forget about 
the long game. Mm. Not that we shouldn't care about life here on earth and how we live it, and not that the things that happen here shouldn't matter to us. Um, but I think that an element of walking with God is knowing that we have this hope in him that passes all earthly understanding. And it's like Lauren said, having faith can be really hard to explain, especially for people who don't have a relationship with God. And I think it's important for us as Christians to remember that God isn't the answer for everyone. You know, some people telling them to, pr to pray or trust God means nothing because they don't have that relationship with him, and especially in times that may be trying or full of tragedy. And so I don't think that that's the best time to necessarily try to witness to people or be like, well, let me introduce you to my God who can make the situation better. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's where I think really being there, being a friend and just loving people, I think that that's the best way that we can be there for some people. But like I said, I don't think that there's a clear answer. And I'm just as confused and still navigating it as any other person. No, oh, absolutely. So right perspective is, is so interesting. And, and, you know, kind of to your point, I think even Jesus would, would say what you just said, um, right? There, there's this time when he tells his disciples, well, you know, essentially you, when I was hungry and when I was thirsty and when I was naked and in prison, like you were there and the disciples are totally tripping. Like, what are you talking about? You were never naked and hungry and you've never been to prison. And he's like, no, when you do that for my people, people I love, you're doing that for me. Yeah, presence, being with people. Talk about this a lot, right? Like repairing the shal or repairing the brokenness so that shalom, completeness uh, can be experienced. Um, real quick, and, and then we'll be done. So there's this word that I've grown in love with. Uh, Paul uses it. It's, it's incredible. The word is anaka fe this thigh. So just soak that in for a moment. Anaka fe this thigh. And Paul uses it. And basically this one word means this. A few years ago, my son Noah, he was like three or four. Um, he was sick. And uh, he's like, daddy, I have to go poopy. I'm like, okay. So I go with him and he's pooping. But he like, wow, like... <laughs> explosion, diarrhea, that's all you got to know. It was out of control. While he's doing his thing on the toilet, little man says, daddy, I think I have to throw up. Now, I'm not medical, <laughs> but I'm thinking, no, you don't, because you have projectiles going that direction. <laughs> you, and, and by the way, right, so I'm a dad, I'm sitting there, or standing there next to him on the toilet, like, uh, How's this going to work? Because you're right. Like <laughs> you need to throw up, but you also have that going on. Because um, I did not know that the human body <laughs> could physically project in two opposite directions simultaneously. <laughs> so I learned something that day. And uh, so he did, right? He throws up. Um, now, even me telling you that little story, right? Uh, like Lauren is chuckling a little bit. In the moment, right? Like in real time, that was the worst part of the story. He's throw or he has diarrhea, and then he says he needs to throw up. I instantly panic. This is the worst part of the story. But in retelling the story later, the worst parts actually become the best parts in the retelling. That, according to Paul, is Annika Felus this thigh. And what does give me hope, as you're talking about with perspective, so Paul says... Uh, in Ephesians 1.10, he says, and this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. And what's interesting is in English, that phrase, at the right time, he will bring everything together. 
all the words that we need in English, that is one word in the original, Anaka Felusistai. And so it's like this understanding, in real time, on earth, it's terrible. It's the worst part of the story. But somehow, God will retell the story. And while on earth, they were the worst parts in the retelling. Somehow he's going to work this out. In the retelling of it, the worst parts will actually be the best parts. So to end off our episode, um, I just you know want to ask the question, what is some practical advice or something that we or listeners can take away from this conversation that may be helpful um, when more difficult situations inevitably arise? Yeah, I think what we've kind of mentioned, I think church community is super important. Like Paul says, right? Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. We need to just, not not just, but I think we cannot overemphasize the importance of withness with people. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think that's something that we can do, not to give answers, but just to listen and support and be there for each other. And I think the other, you know, quick thing, again, perspective, you know, because we're all a story, right? And everyone is a story. And like you were saying, Danielle, we oftentimes look at these dark pages of the story as if this is the end of the story, but it's not, right? Like there's always more to the story. And even in the scriptures, right? In the book of Revelation, one of my favorite verses, Revelation 12 says that there was war in heaven, Michael, Jesus, and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. Okay, so good and evil. But then there's this beautiful line, and the dragon lost. In the end, the dragon loses. And we need to be there for each other and to encourage each other, knowing that this page in our story, it's not the end. But we can be there for each other to encourage each other to get to that end. I think for me, um, it's remembering for Christians or people who do have a relationship with God that it's important to practice faith. And by practicing faith, I don't mean having it. I mean practicing it, practicing walking with God every day um, in your lives and in your struggles, because I think that's how we ultimately know how to do it when the bigger stuff comes up. Mm -hmm. Um, And like Jason and Lauren have both said at some point, I think that there is an art in fellowship and community and just the power of presence. And I think that that is one of the best ways that we can help each other navigate um, this broken, messy thing we call life. So ultimately, the purpose of this podcast, like we've said many times before, is to explore the question of how we navigate the tensions of life as Christ followers. And the suffering we experience is certainly one of those tensions. Our world is broken. And if we didn't already know that, I think that the last few years have made that abundantly clear. Um, It can be easy to question where God is in that mess. I know I've done it. You know, going back to that story that I told from the beginning, it's not that I stopped believing in God or was even mad at him or doubted that he existed or loved me, Um, but I was just faced with the reality of how hard it can be to have faith in such a broken world. But as Christians, I think that we do have the gift and opportunity and ability to help each other get through this life and live it to the fullest, despite the darkness and the tragedy that surrounds us. And learning to walk with God across the hills and through the valleys is not easy, and he never said it would be. Um, So I think that as we continue our walks, whatever they look like and whatever we encounter, sometimes all we can do is try to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and remember that as unfair um, and truly hard and trying as this world can be, he's there to walk through it with us. You know, as I experienced the Dayton shooting and tried to 
process it in the days that followed. The song It Is Well um, by Bethel, their version is, is really what got me through. There's a million songs about processing bad and having strength and, and being still in the darkness. But in that song, um, one of the lyrics in the chorus, it says, like, oh, my soul and trust in him, the waves and wind still know his name. And for me, that had power because it didn't say there are no waves and there is no wind, but it said they still knew his name. And for that reason, it's well with my soul. And I hope that somebody can find some hope in that today as we, as we have this conversation. Preach. Special thanks to our audio engineer, Alan Clark. Music throughout this episode is by Common Man Music. A special thank you to Bethel Music and Christine DeMarco. If you like what you've been hearing, tell your friends. And if you'd like to connect with any of us, follow us on Instagram at We're the Outsiders Podcast. And we'll see you all again next week. Thank you.